Welcome to Therapy with Millennials, a podcast where we take our late night talks, aka our own therapy sessions, and put them on record for you to hear. We take a looser definition of therapy, so if you need to seek professional help, please do so. Our main goal or hope is that in sharing our stories, we will relieve some of your tension and you will relate to us. So join us on this journey. Please give us a review on Apple Podcast. It helps new listeners to find us and join this listenership and helps us know how we can get better. So talk back to us. Hello, welcome back to Therapy with Millennials. It's your host, Brittany. And again, of course, I'm joined by the lovely Malia. How are you doing? I'm excited. This is our first Enneagram podcast. I'm so excited. All right. So of course, with Enneagram, we have to start with our ones, our number ones in our lives and in our hearts. They are called the perfectionists. They have two wings. We kind of went over wings a little bit, but wings are the numbers that are directly next to you. So for ones, that's going to be either two or a nine. One wing twos are called the activists and one wing nines are called the optimists. Ones typically like to have plans in order. They feel that there's a right way and a wrong way of doing things. And typically they support causes and those who have an agenda that provides safety for others. They typically don't like to be accused or manipulated. They forget to be appreciated oftentimes. And they don't like being pressured to do anything. They are very very willing to go with the flow, but they also don't like to be pressured. And they're oftentimes called trust, like like to be called trustworthy, honest, sensible, stable, and idealistic. So how do you feel about ones, Brittany? Don't know too many ones in my life. As a, mm-hmm. as a seven, I go towards a one in stress. And what that means is that I become a perfectionist. And I become someone who doesn't want to make mistakes. So when I'm in stress, I can relate to that side of a one. Unfortunately, it's like not the good side, I guess. I can become a little bit more (laughs) like perfectionism is good and not making mistakes is good, but not in the sense of when I come at them. At that point, I'm uh, too in my head and get a little what I think is OCD sometimes uh, with things. So I relate in that sense. And I haven't been able to, you know, go through all of the types fairly well. And that's why I'm really excited about this series so that we can interview these types in our lives and kind of understand more about. So I'm really excited because I don't know as much about ones to learn Mm -hmm. and to, to hear from an actual one. So I find this kind of interesting because I believe that in the ideology that we use both of our wings Typically, I use my one wing in stress, and so it's more of that active perfection of rule following, of getting the deeds done the way that the man or the woman at the top would like them done. And I do it fairly effectively, but sadly, it's also in stress, too. Um, I find it interesting that ones go to four in stress, and that's my security number. So I'm curious to hear from our one more about what that looks like in her life of going to stress in four and stress and going to seven insecurity. So I want to hear more about that from her. 
I'm also curious if she knows which wing is stronger or if she feels like she uses both of her wings. So I'm very curious to see that side of how Enneagram works for her and all that stuff. I kind of want to go into a little bit more of how the wings look different in type ones. So with our type, our one wing twos, they're considered warm, principled, empathetic, and more extroverted. And our one wing nines are considered more idealistic, relaxed, introverted, and objective. Now, granted, these are just some things that can be nines, uh, one wing nines, and some things that can be one wing twos. That's not everyone, but it's kind of a way to show the difference. I know I had a friend of mine who I thought was a one, and I'm could have accidentally mistyped her as a one. She ended up being a two. And the reason I mistyped her as a one is because that's her stronger wing. And so that's where wings kind of come into play, more of that perfectionist, more of that orderly conduct and keeping the world spinning so that we don't fall off of it. So I'm really excited to hear from our one. We actually heard from her in our previous series about respectful disagreement. Guys, welcome back, Tatiana, to the podcast. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? I am good. I'm chilling. Just being a one. <laughs> so we're talking about mainly Enneagram, but if you want to talk about your Myers-Briggs, you can uh, as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how you learned your Myers-Briggs and your Enneagram? Yeah, I learned my Myers-Briggs in college. I believe it was the freshman orientation type week, whatever they do. And we all took the test. And I remember getting the results back and thinking, who got into my brain? I don't like this. This is an invasion of my privacy. And then (laughs) I ended up having a lot more compassion for myself and a lot more compassion for others. And then the Enneagram, I learned about maybe about four years ago um, through another podcast. They were talking about it and it sounded very strange and very woo-woo and I just didn't know where to place it until I started learning about it. And the more I heard descriptions of ones, the more it hit me. And I didn't like it, but also it was very healthy. <laughs> so what was the weirdness of not liking it? I think I think it, sometimes people talk about not liking personality types or tests because it feels like, well, you're putting me into a box or you're putting me into this label or something. But the way that me and Brittany have talked about it on the podcast as is that it's a way for other people to know us better and us to know ourselves better. How did you get out of that mindset of, oh, this feels awkward. I don't want to do this or I don't want to learn about this. I think I realized it wasn't just about me. I realized, oh, that's why that person has so much energy after this week full of gatherings and people. Oh, that's why I get so drained. Maybe I can combine these two and make it a strength. And that's kind of what motivated me was seeing that we absolutely need everyone's specific personality types. We would not be here if it weren't for everyone being so different. And I just found that so fascinating. And also it gives people capacity to deal with super extroverts. (laughs) Yes. Because, yeah, 
even though even though me and Tatiana are pretty close, like it, it took some capacity for me too to understand that, oh, she's definitely an introvert. I don't know why I have so many introverts in my life. Like, not that that's a bad thing. I just realized now in this moment that most of my good friends are all introverted. We need to There's be like adopted. Two of them are we need you to adopt us, Malia. <laughs> so I'm curious. Do you believe in wings? Do you think you have a wing? Do you think that you use both wings? How do you feel about that? I think wings are a really great way to wrap my brain around how people act in different situations. It's not just a very linear way of thinking about personality. It's very much a spectrum, and I appreciate that. I need to do, I honestly need to do more research into wings from what I've found, I don't feel like I relate to either or of them very strongly. And I don't know if that's just mm-hmm. because they may be canceling each other out or I'm just blissfully unaware. You know, it's really interesting when I when I even thought of that question for you. In my in my recollection of you, I don't really think of you having very strong wings. But I can think of situations where I was like, oh, that was her wing too. <laughs> like when you're dealing with your siblings, I'm like, that's definitely, you become the caretaker and you're like, this is the way I would like for things to be, but this is the way that things are going to be because there's a lot of kids in the house. And then kind of the way you were at school was kind of more of that wing nine, in my opinion, mm-hmm. of being the organizer and the one who would make sure that people were like where they were supposed to be. And you kind of took on a lot of projects, both physically and like people and made sure that they did the things. And so I feel like I, I really agree with you that I don't, I don't feel like I've experienced you strongly as either wing, but I feel like I can remember situations where I was like, Oh, that's the nine or that's the two kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's more comforting in my brain. I was thinking I'm either really balanced or really just unaware of myself. (laughs) I'm going to do some ones kind of related to the description of the type itself, since I'm trying to understand type ones, and then have a few situational questions. It says that type ones are conscientious, conscientious, ethical. They have a strong sense of right and wrong. Their fear is being corrupt, evil, or defective. And then your desire is to be good, have integrity, be balanced. How... Maybe on a percentage rate or just in your own terms, how do you feel, how well do you feel you relate to type one? Off of the description, yeah, I feel very strongly the fear of being corrupt. And I think that's where the perfectionism Mm -hmm. comes in. It's if I don't keep this room Mm -hmm. clean enough for me, I don't really care what other people think of my most of my life (laughs) but if it is not clean enough for me if it is not perfect enough for me then i feel like a morally corrupt person like oh it's just a snowball into i'm going to be like the next godfather of crime (laughs) yes (laughs) it spirals very fast Do you feel that with your Myers-Briggs? I didn't uh, really ask you. Like, do you feel do you feel that corruption also with your Myers-Briggs type? Can you I mention do. your type? Yeah, I'm an INTJ. Um, I'm not as well versed in Myers-Briggs, but from my experience 
and small bit of research, I feel that as well. It's very much a reformer kind of personality at its best, a perfectionistic personality at its worst. And I'm finding that with both the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram 1 type, when I start feeling that kind of perfectionism creep up, I have to understand that it comes from a place of wanting things to get better. <laughs> and that kind of goes for both um, Myers-Briggs and Enneagram in my, in my experience. I had a question as I was um, reading about this and, and thinking about the, the perfectionist part of it. Do you not only feel, have you, maybe if you're healthy or unhealthy, whichever, do you not, do you only feel a perfectionist tendency for yourself or do you expect that out of others sometimes or all the time? I always expect it from myself, which Mm -hmm. sometimes makes me very unaware of what's going on around me and what other people may be feeling, uh, which has its perks and its downfalls. I start to kind of expect people to meet some of my standards when I'm in a place of stress. I think it mostly Mm -hmm. comes from just high anxiety. They're encroaching on my personal space. So I need them to just meet my boundary, just meet it now with no questions asked. Um, But that's the only time that I feel like I would push my perfectionism or my limits on someone else it's mostly Mm -hmm. towards me I find it interesting because like I said in the opening I'm a seven and when I am in stress I go to one and then I believe Malia said you as a one when you're in security you go towards seven so Mm -hmm. what what seven to one looks like for me it plays out a lot in my work And I become a perfectionist in my work. And then I also get a little upset sometimes when others at my job are not, um, or others who are doing the same work as me are not meeting the standards that I have set out. So I can relate to that. What does it look like for you if you lean towards your seven insecurity? It looks, it's so much nicer. (laughs) I wish I was a seven so bad. (laughs) It's just... <laughs> it makes me so mad when people say they're sevens because I'm just really envious. <laughs> the seven side really comes out when I am rested. I've had enough time to myself. I start, mm-hmm. I become very spontaneous, more social, not necessarily extroverted, but like people I am social with. I am very present. I'm very curious. I start daydreaming. It's just a very big pot of what ifs? What about this? What about that? And really strange ideas for no reason with no goal in mind. (laughs) It's very fun. (laughs) As a one, I think it says you may have a hard time relaxing and recharging. So I wonder, do you, and this is something I've asked. So I have like a few questions that I'm going to try to ask every type that we interview. Do you feel like you take days off? And if you do, what do they look like? I have had to make it a daily thing because I've realized after working the last couple of years in theater, we only had one day off. 
Um, but I really liked my job. So the one day off didn't feel as short with other jobs. If I got just one day off or two days kind of separated in the week, it felt like it was just not enough. I realized I was preparing and preparing and preparing for those days off so that by the time I got to the day off, I felt like I should be doing something. Like maybe I just didn't prepare enough. Maybe I'm just not relaxing perfectly enough. I'm just not healing as much as I want to. Only a one would say that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I realized I have to make it a daily practice waking up Mm. I have to set aside time for me and just my thoughts and to feel things without judging them and when I get off from work I need to immediately spend five minutes and just quiet kind of meditative wash that feeling of perfectionism off so I've got a question about you said you haven't done much work into Myers-Briggs so I'm curious if you'll connect with this so this is kind of like it says the paradox or the contradicting traits of INTJ. And I'm curious if you'll connect with them. So on one side, it says bold, fugal, perfectionist, habitual, resilient, diplomatic, sometimes narcissistic, conventional, and forgiving. That sound. Yeah, I guess I'm not used to complimenting myself. <laughs> Like those values don't seem like they belong <laughs> because inner critics like in the one is just really loud. That's why. <laughs> On the other side, it says introverted, contented, easily bored, soft on the inside, sometimes argumentative, can be insecure, innovative, direct, and acute yet accused of being harsh the second one (laughs) i think the argumentative part of it really stood out and then the inventive Mm. part stood out too kind of like i can argue my way out of a situation if i feel like i'm not doing well enough probably argue my way out of it the innovative Mm. side kind of also goes into that argumentative like it's just kind of a I have to feel constantly prepared for anything. I have to prepare for my lapses in perfectionism. (laughs) Going off of that, it makes me think of trust because as a two, I constantly question whether I can trust people or not. When I was doing some research, it said about type ones and trust, they often think I'm able to be vulnerable because I know I won't be judged or reprimanded by someone who keeps the who will keep their promises, show up when they say that they're going to show up. Does that feel true about trust? Yeah, I trust myself to get things done. I don't trust other people to get things done. I don't trust myself to take care of myself. And I also don't really trust others to do it. So yes, that's that's very, that's very (laughs) relatable. Do you feel like you connect? really well with um, sometimes it's termed the inner critic in ones that other types don't have. Do you feel like you trust yourself against the inner critic within you? I am just now seeing some semblance of fruit from working on it the last three, four years or so. 
that I've known that I was an Enneagram one. Um, I found out through another podcast and in an interview, someone described himself as being in choir and he was starting to kind of move and get into it. And then he realized that's not what you're supposed to do. And he balled up his fist and put his hands down. And he just remembers feeling so terrible for even like moving because he just felt it. And that's when I just started crying. And it was that sort of situation that reminded me of, oh, maybe this inner critic, inner critic thing is very real. And it is. It is very hard to accept compliments. It is very hard to recognize myself. Very pervasive. And if I'm being honest, like it's not until just now that I'm starting to see some fruits and I'm learning it's not really about shutting that critic up. It's about giving it a name, giving it a body or a personality or something. Let it have its tantrum. And then you tell it the truth. And if your <laughs> quiet truth just keeps, if your truth is the bigger cheerleader, it drowns that out. But I've realized I can't just shut that down. Cause like that, kind of is a part of me it's the little fears speaking and if I don't let those mm. little fears speak then they're just going to get louder and louder and louder so I need to let them talk and then I use the like argumentative side of myself to make it shut up <laughs> I'm hearing and seeing what our listeners might be thinking how does the inner critic differ from your conscience differ from self-deprecating talk to yourself because i think that a lot of times other types will hear one say i have an inner critic and we say so do we we mm -hmm. have so low self-esteem we hear negative talk in our head but mm -hmm. it's totally different for ones so can you explain to us what that feels like like maybe even a situation where that happened honestly it's always you're going to feel like it's your conscience and that your conscience is mean. And I don't believe that's what a conscience is. I don't believe a conscience is there to yell at you or call you names or any of these things. It is for me as a one, it is very loud and it doesn't realize how loud it is. And it also doesn't realize that what it's yelling is untrue all the time. It's a very constant battle. It's to just give you like a very small example, just waking up in the morning. First thought is how dare you sleep one minute past your alarm. You are just the scum of the earth. And then it just goes on to walking into the kitchen to get coffee. Oh, well, you don't have this kind of coffee because you didn't put that effort into yourself. You didn't take care of yourself well enough this weekend. So now you have to deal with this coffee that you don't like as much. And it's just like so loud all the time that you start thinking that that's what it is. So when people tell you as a one, you don't have to think that way about yourself, then it's like, yes, I do. It's keeping me safe from being imperfect. Right. And then, the more growth mm. in everything you do with 
kind of inner critic lies is, well, would you say that to five-year-old you? Would conscience say that to five-year-old you? Probably not. And if it doesn't line up with those, then it's probably inner critic. I have some like situation questions. So I'm, I'm doing this with every type. I'm going to give you a situation and then just see how you would respond to it. Okay, so my two situations. The first one, you're at a restaurant. You have ordered your food. It comes out. And it's not exactly wrong. It's not exactly right. Let's say you've ordered uh, salmon and a side of broccoli, but they bring you a potato salad instead. What do you do? Honestly, I'm interested in trying it. If it is kind of a mistake on the part of the restaurant that isn't really detrimental to me or my wallet, yes, absolutely. Like, I would I would absolutely try it. That's, that's interesting. I never really thought about that before. <laughs> and I'm on the side of I would just eat it. Like, I'm not going to, even if I didn't like it, I would still eat it <laughs> because I don't want mm-hmm. to bother anyone (laughs) if i can eat it and i'm curious about it then sure but (laughs) that's where my southern hospitality comes out and i'm like hey sweetie i know that you work hard but this is a mistake okay so the last situation is you have created um you and your best friend or your significant other have decided we're gonna work out together we're gonna work out and we're gonna eat healthy you guys have divided, devised this plan together. This is how it's going to go. And you're going along. You're doing great. And then you find out that your your friend or your significant other has cheated just a little bit. How do you react? It makes me so disappointed. I feel like I have to start over with them. Because I want them to also mm-hmm. have a clean palate. Like, I want them to have a clean slate too. And... Mm-hmm. I would not feel okay with myself screwing up this small part of the diet or the exercise routine, and I would feel like I have to start over. So the immature side of my brain just assumes that someone else would be okay with starting over too. So I get frustrated. (laughs) Not enough to feel like I really need to do something about it besides mention it. It's just kind of, I'll mention it. I'm frustrated. You do you. I'm doing my own thing, whether you come with me or not. <laughs> so do you feel, I'm curious from the, from the seven and the one within both of you, do you feel more betrayed if the person tells you or the, if the person doesn't tell you? Either way, I'm going to find out. If they don't tell yeah. me. If they don't tell me and I find out, definitely worse. Like as soon as it happens, please tell me. Don't let me find out like, later is my opinion (laughs) i am completely on the same side as that that makes a whole lot of sense it's it's the trust we committed to this thing we said we were gonna do this thing so let's do it right Right. don't think about my feelings at that point like oh if she finds out i cheated she's gonna be so upset and like for you you know she thinks i've got to start over with this person no it's gonna be worse if i find out that you cheated and you didn't tell me exactly i'd rather just have them say hey i ate a cookie 
and then I'll be like, all right, you have the choice. You're either going to start over or you're going to keep going with me. Right. Either way, I'm doing my thing. <laughs> so I'm curious, going back to my question about trust, how do you recover from betrayal? That is like my worst like fear. I don't know if it's one. of It's definitely one of my worst fears. Because it's, I have shared this trust with you. I have been vulnerable enough to give you that and you betrayed it. It feels, I start to kind of simmer in that foreness. It's just kind of a very much like scene kid, emo kid sort of vibe where I'm just like, I walk the lonely streets and I'm just like <laughs> sitting there. It's, it's hard to get out of. <laughs> And then I need like a two and a seven to bring me out. <laughs> okay. So our last three questions that we are doing with each of the Enneagram numbers and the types is asking, I love it when I hate it when. So we'll start with, I love mm, when I love when I have zero responsibilities. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And I hate when I hate when someone breaches my boundaries. <laughs> Either socially or asking me to move on if something isn't perfect. If people are pushing me to mm. move on if something isn't perfect, I don't like that. Well, oh, thank you, no. Tatiana, for joining us. Absolutely. That was so yeah, fun. Yeah, fun. Good, good. We should have you back. Um, yes, I'm definitely. Ready. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you all for listening in about type ones. Hopefully you uh, understand type ones better, or maybe you're just finding out from this conversation that you might be a type one. Um, you don't have to take a test to determine that you're a type, by the way. You can read up on all the types and, you know, decide what works best for you. I took a test and at first it told me I was more uh, inclined towards type two. Um, and then I realized I was actually a type seven. So you can decide which one you are. And yeah, just I hope you enjoyed. Um, make sure you're leaving us your, your feedback, your comments, letting us know what you thought. We love you guys. Thank you for showing up every Friday at three. And we'll hope that you'll you continue listening to the Enneotype series that we're doing. Take care, guys. Bye to all our Bye. ones in particular. Thank you for listening to Therapy with Millennials. To keep up to date on our episodes, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Come follow us on Instagram at Therapy with Millennials or Twitter at T with Millennial, no S. Have any suggestions for the show or want to get in contact with us? Email us at twithmillennials at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you.